From McMinnville, Oregon, this is Crisscrossing Science, the podcast that never gets glitches. I'm Michael Crosser. Of course, you know Chad Tilburg. And today's title is Debugging Programs. Hey, Chad. Oh, that pregnant pause gave me a little bit of angst. <laughs> uh, how you doing? I'm doing all right. So it's been in the news a lot lately. Issues when computer programs and algorithms have gone awry. I'm thinking mm-hmm. specifically of, I don't know, back in December, a lot of flights were grounded because the FAA had some computer problem. And oh, the biggest yeah, issue, of right. course, was Taylor Swift, people trying to get tickets to her concert and so forth. <laughs> and so yes. um, we have a special guest in the studio today to tell us all about how to resolve some of those issues. Yeah. So we're happy to have with us today our colleague, Dr. Kate Lorenzen. She's faculty in the math and computer science department here at Linfield University and does a lot of work with the mathematics of writing computer algorithms. And so she's going to help us figure this out. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Kate. Yeah. First question. Are you a Swifty? I actually listened to some Swift before this to to pump up. Okay. <laughs> Get All ready right. for it. Good. I was not a Swifty until my 11-year-old daughter last May started requesting it from Alexa. And so, yeah, we've got a lot of Taylor Swift happening in our house now. Oh. Well, so, if anything goes wrong today, we'll just shake I'm the off. problem, it's me. So. <laughs> <laughs> you need to calm down, Mike. <laughs> I, I recognize that one actually. So did you? Okay. Yeah. How should we get started with this topic today, Kate? So you mentioned a couple problems that have been in the news from the FAA was grounding flights to uh Taylor Swift's concert. People were having trouble getting tickets to it. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to to talk about how we debug programs. So I guess, I I don't know, I want to start with you both are science people, but how do you think we debug programs? Like, what does that mean to you? I guess my concept of what goes on is if you've written a set of instructions for some sort of computer language to execute, you try to kind of test the fences, I guess, by giving it inputs that might intentionally cause it to choke. And if it chokes in a way that you expected it to, then maybe that's okay. But if it chokes in ways that you didn't expect it to, then you know you've got a problem. And- yeah, absolutely. Right. I think that's like, you know, if you take a computer science like 101 course where you write your program. And yeah, you do some sort of testing afterwards and maybe you just start with like, okay, these are some inputs. This is what I expect the output to be. And and yeah, debugging happens when something unexpected happens. And then you're like, okay, shoot, the computer is very good. It always does what it's told. Um, So you have to go back and figure out, all right, you're trying to execute these commands that I've asked you to do, but it's not necessarily matching what I initially had in mind. So when we talk about debugging programs, right, that's, that's kind of the big picture thing we want to do. And so, yeah, so the process, a lot of times, I think for, for many of us, at least for myself, when, uh, you know, I'm debugging my own programs is it's like, cool. Okay. You know, you just kind of go along, everything's fine until a problem arises. And then you start to go back. But the thing is, is that we, we have a lot of like high stakes scenarios in our world. We want um, computers to help us with, and we don't want to like wait for problems to happen. Like we don't want to wait for the airplanes to crash into each other. We don't want to wait until we've sent the Mars bot to Mars before we start trying to like figure out, is there any bugs or the program is doing that we don't really want it to do? And so then the question is like, how can we kind of anticipate all the problems before we actually just like start to run our particular program? Mm -hmm. Right. And and these are 
complicated programs. These are not like the things that I generally write for my own research or classes or anything like that, where, you know, I have maybe 20 or 30 lines or something like that. These are things where they're calling on other functions. They're doing all this complicated stuff. And so it's not something that like for me to debug, it's a matter of just, I should go through line by line and reread everything, make sure that this isn't where I made the mistake or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so like tracking down like any mistake, it's harder than that for any real world application type thing. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, even though we we try, you know, to the best of our abilities, right, not to, to send out our expensive programs into the world, they do happen. Do you guys remember the Mars Pathfinder mission in 1997? Definitely. They Did you know they intentionally set it to Mars with a, a bug in its programming? No, no. They found it, said this will never happen and sent it to Mars. And it did. It happened four times. Oh my gosh. What was the bug and what made them think, meh, no big deal. It had to do with this kind of idea of concurrent tasks happening and how does the computer try to determine what to do and what priority. Hmm. And this is like a big problem. This was, you know, the, the kind of the ticket master with Swifties. You know, you can think about if you're asking a computer to do two things at once, it can't. You know, there there is such things as parallel computing, but, you know, you want the machine like one thing is happening at a time. And so what was happening on the Mars Pathfinder is it had some like high priority tasks that it had to do and some low priority tasks that it had to do. And essentially it would get started in a low priority task and then a high priority task would hit it its system saying like, you need to do this high priority task now, but it's already in the middle of the low priority task. So it can't start the new thing. So the bug was that it didn't know that it should finish its low priority task and then do the high priority task. It didn't know how to handle that Mm. particular thing. And so Um, what would it do? It would just freeze and they'd have to reset the whole system from earth. Um, (laughs) Is this like a control alt delete kind of thing? Yeah, all a control alt delete. (laughs) (laughs) And and, like, thankfully, like control alt delete did not like delete the data because I think the the high priority task was sending mission data back to Earth or something. So anyway, it didn't delete the data. But anyway, so and the low priority task is like is playing Minesweeper or something, right? Or it's like, (laughs) oh, I need to clean my room. Um, But then like a really like high priority task, like you know, it's it's homework would come in and it like it just would freeze. I'm like, well, I'm in the middle of cleaning, so I can't start my homework. But my homework is here, so I can't clean my room. (laughs) And uh, that sounds like. Writing my thesis, yeah. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Okay. This idea that you have two different levels of tasks, it's it's something that's expected. So it was and to me, it was kind of like funny that they they knew that was there, but they're like, the amount of times we're gonna be asking the robot to like clean its room and then its homework is gonna come in is it's such a small probability we're gonna ask it to do that. It's not worth fixing the bug. Let's just send it to Mars. And then it did happen four times. So <laughs> So we kind of talk about the ways we can debug problems. That's one kind of thing that we sometimes are looking for. This kind of like you're just kind of, you know, deadlocked in a particular state. Mm. So we've talked about concurrent system problems. Mm -hmm. That's one kind of issue that we can have is that if we ask it to do too many things all at once, it can't prioritize necessarily very well. What's another type of bug that is fairly common? So with these types of bugs... The CS, like computer science 101 way of finding them was, is like, you just kind of like try a bunch of examples and inputs with your program. But the thing is, is that that's kind of this idea called testing, which can reveal errors, but it's not going to reveal the lack of errors. So if you run through all your tests, that doesn't mean your program is like 100% ready to go, fly yourself up to Mars. And so for that, you want to actually say that there are no errors 
in this program that this nothing bad is going to happen. It's always going to stay alive. I don't have this type of thing. You do kind of need a little bit more mathematics, which is the part I enjoy. (laughs) And so uh, let me, so does that mean that even this, as you refer to the computer science 101 approach is restricted by how creative a person can be in thinking up all of the different scenarios and the more complicated a program is, or the more complicated the kinds of tasks it's doing, the harder and harder it is for that person to think of every possible contingency. And so therefore you're going to miss some. Right. Okay. And so what you're suggesting is that there's a mathematical approach to this that doesn't so much rely on me thinking up stuff, but it sort of approaches it in a different way. Right. Yeah. We can actually mathematically lay out all the possible scenarios. Mm. Right. And then we can either kind of test over that whole particular space or kind of all those kind of possible scenarios. So that's kind of where it's like beyond just like, oh, let me try this. And then let me try this. It's like being a lot more mathematical and systematical about how we approach that particular way. And then if you can say it works over all of these scenarios, which mathematically speaking is all possible scenarios, right? Then that would lead to more of a lack of error in the program. Okay. All right. Just uh, It's kind of cool to think about what are, mm-hmm. <laughs> what are all the possible ways things could be happening. So what are some of the mathematical tools that we could use for that? So the first one is we can think of, you know, if we have all of our variables, what are all the possible values our variables could be going into a program? And so a lot of times we then have to simplify this. So a lot of this also happens with finding a particular model, like what are people trying to do at particular points in time? So I'd love to kind of bring up a fun example to walk through some of these ideas. Mm -hmm. Have you guys ever heard of the fun game called Farmer, Wolf, goat cabbage in a boat trying to get from one side of the river to the other yeah i remember that in middle school is when i first heard about it or that you right. you have a canoe and yeah you are on one side of the river with all these wolf, things like a wolf yeah you have your wolf your goat and your cabbage and you need to get them from one side of the river to the other the problem is you have a small canoe and you can only hold two of these objects at the same time but if left unsupervised the wolf will eat the goat and the goat will eat the cabbage. So that, wait, but the boat, it says the boat can hold oh, yeah. two things. Two people, okay. So that's yeah, you so and... And one other thing. Okay, since I, I have to row, because goats are notoriously lazy yeah. at rowing. Yeah. And so I can only take one thing across the river with me at a time. Right. But then there's right. a pen, you know, so they're not going to run wild once I take them across. They, they've agreed to stay still. Yeah, but they might try to eat each other if they're in the correct category of predator prey. Yeah. My <laughs> approach to this would probably just be sort of a brute force. Like, well, what if I did this one first? Nope. What if I did this one, then this one? Okay, that works. And then, oh, but then I can't do it because of this. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I feel like I'm taking the computer science 101 approach here. So this is more of a like this idea for trying to get like a state space put together, right? Mm-hmm. You can imagine all of the realms of possibilities of who is on the shore, who's in the boat, right? So you start, right? And like all four of you are on one side of the shore. Mm-hmm. And then I can imagine I'm in the boat and my cabbage is in the boat, right? Or I'm in the boat and 
the goat's in the boat with me, or I'm in the boat and the wolf's in the boat with me, right? Mm -hmm. And you can kind of start to, you know, think about like, okay, so there's all these three places that I could be, right? There's all three places where the cabbage could be, there's three places where the goat could be, and there's three places where the wolf will be. But, you know, you can essentially kind of map out all of these possible scenarios. Mm -hmm. All right. So all these scenarios, as I look at it, the weak point here is the goat. (laughs) (laughs) right because the goat could be eaten or the goat will eat the cabbage yes Mm -hmm. and so if i and i'm gonna name the goat peyton manning (laughs) (laughs) so i i have my goat peyton and i'm gonna put him in the the canoe with me because the wolf doesn't want to eat the cabbage Mm -hmm. unless peyton has already eaten the cabbage so yeah so if i get rid of peyton then everybody's happy so i can just take peyton over to the other side oh but i but that's only one thing right yeah Okay, so okay, so if you move Peyton to the other side, mm-hmm. okay, all right, so then you you go back. What do you put in your boat, cabbage or wolf? I don't think it matters at that point. Oh, I'll I know. Do- you put the cabbage in. Okay. You bring the cabbage over, mm-hmm. but then you put the goat back in your boat and bring it back across with you, mm-hmm. and then you get the wolf and you bring the wolf over, and now wolf and cabbage are together on the same side, but wolf doesn't mm-hmm. care about cabbage. Yeah. And then you go back one more time alone and get the goat. Yeah. Boom. Yes. <laughs> Chad, you are the goat of problem solving. Is that right? Well, I mean, it helped that you pointed out that the goat was the weak link, Ah, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. It's involved in two, like, it can't really be left with any other object. It can only be, like, left by itself on a certain side. Or with you. That then makes the solution kind of obvious, I think. Yeah. But it's a good example when you start to think about what is kind of all of the different states you can be. Like, what is all of the state space? Mm-hmm. And then essentially, like when you think about if you're leaving the wolf with the goat, that that's like that's a bad thing, right? You're going to lose the game, and so you just want to ensure that your program is is essentially going to be avoiding that. Mm-hmm. And because then you kind of have everything laid out, right? Then you can figure out if your program does actually follow that. Mm-hmm. All right. But I think the interesting thing, the thing that I want to talk about, was if you can lay out kind of your state space, kind of your your rules of how your world works. You know, if one thing happens, another thing's going to happen. Happen. These are all my possible states that I can get to. So I can connect them and say, like, I can get from one to the other in this, like, one movement. You know, we're in our boat and then we go to the other side of the river. But it's really like, how do we then as humans start to, like, be able to talk to our program and ask, oh, did your this program always avoid getting to one of these particular states that the goat was eaten or the cabbage was eaten? And so for that, we actually employ some, some kind of form of logic. Because mm. really, at the end of the day, computers, they're the language of logic, right? If you think about the the gates opening and closing, letting the electrons in and out, this is all kind of comes down to a particular type of logic. Mm -hmm. So logic is the very formal mathematical system of taking standard English statements and being able to kind of tell whether they're going to be true or false. Okay. So like we would say the goat and the cabbage, we would turn that into some logic statement. Right. You know, so you say like the goat and the cabbage are not on the same side, unsupervised. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of turn that into this kind of more formal statement of where the goat's location is, where the cabbage's location, and where the person's location is. And you can kind of formalize this into kind of a more formal statement. Now, what's interesting, though, with this kind of this goat and this cabbage is that as we're kind of searching over the state space, we want to add in a time factor. 
Great. So, okay. So like a little bit, you know, simpler of like, you know, you can have a, a trade. What do they do when they come to intersections? And any kind of program that you have to try to design, you want to also be able to talk about that in the logic. But sometimes English and like the logic doesn't always correspond to each other. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I want to bring up from the Kansas state legislature in the early 1890s. All right. So when two trains approach each other at a crossing, both shall come to a full stop and neither shall start up again until the other has gone. Okay. <laughs> So, so you're saying that's problematic? <laughs> well, no, I'm saying like, okay, what we would like to do is we'd like to be able to write this as a logical statement that we can tell our computer like, hey, this new program that we've designed to make sure that the trains don't crash into each other, that it follows this safety measure put out by our state legislature. And then you want to ensure that, you know, whatever program that you have is meeting that essential, that safety feature. So you have to be able to turn the safety feature, all of this English language into temporal logic, which is not necessarily the easiest task. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, I missed this when you first said the quote. So the quote says, both trains will come to a full stop Yes, and neither of them will move until the other one moves yes but and so if they're both following that so then neither one is ever going to move this is got it yeah. okay well okay as as a native kansan this logic really resonates with me because when two people in my home state arrive at a building and try to go through the door at the same time it's this exact same problem where they're like oh let me get that for you or no after you no I insist you first. And then it's just back and forth. And then it's like, mm. they've both come to a stop and neither is willing to go until the other has gone. And so they're there forever. So that's a safety feature. We just like, there's no way, our safe way of trains navigating each other. Like say the one that is closest to the North Pole gets to go first, right? Like that would yeah. be a much better safety feature, right? So everyone's going to come to a full stop. One close to the North Pole is going to go. And then the other one can then can then sure. proceed. So how can we apply this to some of the other situations that you brought up at the beginning? Like remind our listeners what happened with the Taylor Swift debacle. She's angry at Ticketmaster or something for some reason, but I don't think people understand the computer science behind that. You're essentially, you know, you have all these tickets and you have multiple people in the queue trying to reserve the same tickets at the same time. And only one person can get the tickets at the end. And the thing is, is like, I guess what's, I don't want to say annoying, but like annoying is like, this is a, a common bug that you can test for. And there's actually been a lot of literature about, you know, from a computer science perspective, like how can you actually program to just avoid this in the first place if you know that there's a possibility that this is going to happen? So like a lot of what I'm telling you is based on a, a class on formal methods that I took as a graduate student, but we do these kind of things as our, as our homework. So I guess that's why it's like a little like annoying. Like, why is this still a bug out in the world? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. When like a lowly grad student can do this as like homework and, yeah. you know, figure out how to how to kind of get around those particular things. It's also the idea of we had this example over and over again where you have a bank account that has like zero dollars in it and you're trying to simultaneously deposit and withdraw at the same time. These things have to kind of happen simultaneously, but you never want the bank account to like get below. And there's ways that you can add in flags to kind of say like, hey, I'm going to just reserve these tickets. No one else can do it. And just have your one kind of computer processing it at the particular time. Mm -hmm. So with the tickets, was it the case that there, say it's a, a venue of 10,000 seats or something? Mm -hmm. And there were, say, 50,000 people trying to get those tickets. So as you said, there are a lot of people 
in the queue trying for each individual ticket. So the computer was having a hard time deciding who to allow to have them. Was that what people were really angry about? What I remember, there were people who were in the fan club, got a code. Oh. And they were supposed to have early access. Well, now if you're in the fan club, that's... Yeah. And apparently that didn't work. Apparently people were able to jump ahead of the queue and is what I I do. Uh, yeah, I remember that because well, there was a fan club code. And then wasn't there also like a code if you had a special like credit card, hmm. you could like yeah. jump ahead. Yep, yep. But it was because like, I think the credit card, either was like the fan club or the credit card, but, like one of those codes didn't work. And then the bigger debacle was when they said if two people like press like purchase at the same time, hmm. right? That's going to be kind of the big problem. Hmm. But they should Which have used I've... some tools to check all this before they went live is what you're saying yeah um mm. but that's yeah the kind of the issue that i'm thinking of is because yeah people are talking about you have, have tickets in your card and they like disappear is there some sort of kind of race condition which other companies have figured out how to get around so mm -hmm. i see i feel like that's happened to me while buying airline tickets online before too mm. Like I'll, I'll be just about to complete the transaction and then the last page will be like, oh, sorry. Does that happen to you too? Yeah, definitely. Are there other similarly high stakes things? Um, so besides T-Swift, what else? <laughs> life and death <laughs> sorts of applications. So this is, this is, I mean, the the formal methods is kind of more developed by, there's things that are then used in other contexts, but right, it was NASA and like FAA navigation, this idea that these are like high stakes projects. <laughs> Similarly, you don't want to like put two commercial jets full of people and just hope that the system doesn't crash, mm -hmm. right? Or that, you know, yeah. the planes run into each other, right? You like, you absolutely do not want this to happen at all. And so this kind of system of checking your program and making sure that things aren't going to happen that you don't want to is really great to make sure is happening before everyone takes off for the day. Mm -hmm. um, and so the real kind of thing that they really try to keep is light separation, which I 1000 feet vertically and two miles horizontally, right? That's that little nice space of bubble between all of our airplanes. And mm -hmm. essentially, if we see that that might possibly be violated, then it's kind of a, what are kind of the systems we have? Checking kind of each individual part of your program, right? You don't want to do a full scale simulation with like 20 planes in the sky, you're kind of more just like checking each individual piece of the program, right? And that's also the beyond the computer science 101 class, how you have this complicated system and how can you abstract your most outer layer and then check within each of those pieces and then making sure that they're all kind of connecting to each other in a nice way. And so the FAA thing that, yeah, I'm thinking about that. That's more complicated than I originally, when I heard about it, it was like, well, yeah, obviously. Okay. So I've got a dot here. We've got a dot there. Easy to keep them apart, but they're not just dots. You have to worry about their velocity as well, the directions that they're actually moving and when they're going to mm -hmm. run into each other and so forth. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, on the airplane, there's kind of uh, two things that fly the plane, kind of essentially issue the commands from the cockpit area into like the actual mechanics that drive the plane, mm -hmm. right? And so one is called the auto resolver. Okay. And so that pilots can be like, you know, punching in like, I want to go through this, you know, velocity or and I want to go to this altitude and the auto resolver will nicely take care of it. And then the other one is the Tactical Separation Assisted Flight Safe Environment, or T-SAFE, okay. you know, our, our government at work. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and that one would also kind of send commands, but will do so kind of a lot more promptly, right? And it'll kind of do that as more of a like, you know, we're, we're imminently away from intersecting with another airplane at an unsafe distance. It'll kind of automatically issue a command. And once it issues a command as a human, you can't really do anything about it. 
And there's kind of the two systems happening. And so you do have to make sure, right, that they're not going to be trying to issue commands over the top of each other, right? That one system is flying the airplane, right? And only one system is trying to fly the airplane. Right. So you're sort of insinuating here that the pilots are there, but they're not they're not really flying the planes anymore. I don't say they're days. not. They are really flying the planes, but they do but, also, but it's not also like gonna a... be... Yeah, I don't think they're going to be like flying the plane the way like I'm driving my car to work every morning. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. They they do handle, like, I mean, I think most pilots will tell you, like you handle a lot of like in the takeoff and the landing, you are then like flying the plane. So these are the things that are being resolved within an individual plane, mm -hmm. right? And then is the FAA's role or the flight towers or, or whatever, there must be some sort of central clearinghouse that all of this information information goes to that is then responsible for making sure certain things are either true or not true about all the you said something like 5,000 or so planes up in it's the air. It's a lot of planes. I was surprised. Yeah, I didn't give yes. a moment. Yeah. Well, I, I believe it. it. I mean, if you look at a map of flights and stuff there. And so that seems like you've got like two different levels of computing going on here. One, the very localized level of what's happening on the plane and the other that's also keeping track of everybody doing all of those things. And so that must be much more complicated to have to issue commands to perhaps hundreds of other flights to make sure that the behavior of this one might be impacting all of these others. Yeah. So you know how we talked about the goat and the wolf and the cabbage getting across? Uh -huh. The one way you find actually the solution, if you you know didn't want to reason about it logically, is you could just make your state space and then use your temporal logic and say, you can never get across. Mm. And the computer then will say, actually, incorrect. Here's a way you can get across. Mm. And so, you know, when you have like people typing in their flight plan, like boop, 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 you, you can tell the computer, you're like this plane, they can't fly. And it's like, oh, no, actually, this is a flight plan that'll work. Right. Mm. And, and, you know, that's more of as pilots, maybe see like a weather event coming up, you know, like, oh, no, there's this really big thunderstorm, but I want to like drive my plane around it instead of like through it. Mm -hmm. Right. Then they, they can put that in and, you know, you kind of tell the computer like, OK, with all the other flights staying exactly the way they are, this plane can't maintain safety getting around this storm cloud. And it's like, oh, no, it can. We're fine. Mm. And okay. so it's another kind of way of, again, using the same idea to kind of find and kind of do some kind of strategic plan to kind of do some kind of uh, mapping around. Mm. And that's because the computer computer can go through every scenario very quickly mm -hmm. as opposed to someone with a pen and paper. Right. And then when it comes back with this is a possibility, right, you know that that is a, you know, essentially a solution right, to this hmm. kind of this problem. And, and that's what's also nice is it's like not just someone with like pen and paper. When the computer comes back with it, it's double checked. This is a logically sound way to get around this as long as no one else goes off of their flight plan. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so absolutely. Chat. If you then want to do that, right, you can imagine how many requests are coming into the air traffic controller and how many times they have to run this. So when the FAA system goes down to me, like I'm like, duh, like, of course, you could grab all the planes. There's no way the human can possibly do all of this. Mm -hmm. And verify with all of the different air traffic control stations and all the other airplanes, right, that this is more of like kind of a centralized computer doing this. Hmm. Okay, so another airline related debacle that happened that seems to be relevant here was with what happened with Southwest. Yeah, there was the there was the big storm like right before Christmas. Hmm. Okay. Right? It was like the whole nation was like under snow and ice. And what did they, they cancel over 2000 flights a day for like three or five 
five days straight. Mm. And I mean, the big problem was they're on a point to point system and not a like spoke hub system. Mm. Right. Most airlines almost always as you fly United, you, you go to Detroit or one of their other hubs. And if you fly Delta, you almost always go to Atlanta, Georgia, and then you go out someplace else from that. And they usually have multiple hubs, but usually you're you start at one airport, you go to a bigger one, that's their mm-hmm. hub, and then mm-hmm. out from there. Absolutely. If you imagine this being like kind of like a picture, it essentially looks like a like a wagon wheel. You got your mm-hmm. hubs and you, then you got your spokes. But so Southwest can, does it differently, though. They saying. do it differently. So Southwest does a, a point to point. They don't have hubs is kind of essentially it. They just have, you know, flight from here, flight to there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I that's why. <laughs> Honestly, I don't fly Southwest because I took them coming from Louisville one time and I went from Louisville to Chicago to St. Louis, which is very close to Louisville, to Kansas City, to somewhere in Utah. And then finally, I, I went the Lewis and Clark Expedition Trail. Like I I tracked the entire thing across the country. I was not right. happy with that. Right. And so why point model is not necessarily nice for customers is because the average amount of flights you have to take from one location to another is more than two. Where if, you, if you're at a hub and spoke model, most people only take two flights if you're trying to get anywhere in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I went to college in rural Pennsylvania. I was only ever taking two flights because, you know, I was at a regional airport, fly to a hub. From the hub can fly to the next regional airport wherever you want to go mm-hmm. um, and then that's also the the hub and spoke model i think it is better for if you're trying to like figure out where your planes and your pilots are right it's like okay just get everyone to the hub mm-hmm. right yeah. and then if we're all at the hub we can then just go wherever we need to go right and if things get canceled or delayed we're just able to be a lot more flexible hmm. and so you're saying this weather event back in december caused a lot more problems for Southwest because then they had their pilots were not where they needed to be. They could not get everybody where they needed yeah, to go. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Okay. And then it seems like if a problem one place would sort of ramify through the entire network rather than sort of being damped out once it got to a hub. Yeah. You fly to some of these like hub airports and it's like, that's where they are able to keep all their backup planes and they have like workshops there. And so you imagine if you're Southwest and you don't have any hubs and all of a sudden you need to be flying a lot more planes out of, you know, the one city that didn't get hit by the big winter storm. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't have an extra, you know, couple of planes you can pull out of your workshop. So, yeah, it is, it's, a, it's a little bit less flexible. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So why was it just recently that they had this problem? That sounds like... It's not, right? Like, didn't they have a, they had a similar problem in August? Like, it's like this has been a known problem. Uh, I just don't think it got the, the media. Attention attention it did uh, until okay. it happened two days before the christmas holiday mm, interesting all, all right, right. Mm. well cool so kate thank you i today was a lot of fun thinking about like yeah. real world examples of computers going wrong and also thinking about how it is that you can use math to help you identify where the where is going wrong and, and how things need to be resolved so absolutely uh, yeah that was a lot yeah, of fun thanks, thanks. This episode was recorded on the beautiful campus of Linfield University. Rodi Ortega wrote our theme music. If you like this episode or others like it, you should subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll download the latest episode as soon as it becomes available. While there, leave a comment and a rating, and that'll help other people find our podcast. If you have ideas for a future episode, or if you have questions you'd like us to address, email us at crisscrossingsci at gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase. Or hit us up on Facebook. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.